everyone, and welcome to That Wellness Podcast with Natalie Deering. Today's episode features someone pretty major within the IFS and trauma healing community, Dr. Frank Anderson. Frank is someone for me that has played a significant role in my development of IFS early on before I could even get into a level one training. He has spent a lot of time creating workshops and trainings for those interested in learning the basics of IFS, along with writing his various books on trauma. Frank is a lead trainer at the IFS Institute, a psychiatrist, a psychotherapist, and a trainer within Bessel van der Kolk's Trauma Center. He serves as an advisor to the International Association of Trauma Professionals and was the former chair and director of the Foundation of Self-Leadership. In today's episode, Frank and I spend time discussing information within his recent chapter in the book All Together Us called Embodying IFS with Sexual Orientation. Trauma Healing as a Path to the Integrated Self. Frank and I both share personal stories regarding this topic throughout the episode, and we also just had a great time getting to know each other. So I really hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Well, Frank, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so so honored. I, I wanted to share this with you real quick, but you were like my first kind of person. I'm sure you hear this a lot. Yes. <laughs> Probably yeah. from people that are like, yes. you were my first person in IFS that and you were. I mean, That's when right. I when I kind of caught the IFS bug, I dove into what was available before getting yeah. into a level one and sure. your trainings like through Pezzi and I just like Yeah took all those in. And so, and I read your book and it's right behind you, Internal Family Systems, your workbook there. And I just, it really was the opening mm-hmm. for me. And so I'm yeah. really, I'm really grateful that you have, it seems like kind of dedicated <laughs> your professional life at this yeah. point to, uh, you know, helping people get connected to IFS. And, and to have that information. So I want to say thank well, you. Well, it's interesting. So no, I have not dedicated my professional life to helping people get connected to IFS. <laughs> That's what ended up happening. Like uh. sometimes I wish I'm like, I wonder if the Institute would track how many people I've actually sent to them because, you know, we know it's impo- next to impossible to get into trainings these days. And yeah. everybody is looking for ways to do IFS stuff, you know, and it's so heartwarming that so many people have said, oh, my goodness, Frank, you were my first introduction to IFS because I do so many intro workshops. You know, I do tons of workshops and I love doing the workshops. I've been doing IFS since 2004, really. Okay. And um, so it's just been and I'm, I love teaching. Um, Dick and I became friends early on. So I've done a lot of teaching in IFS and have brought a lot of people, you know, a funny story to this. And I love this so much is that my assistant trainer, who's now a co-lead trainer, Crystal Jones, um, is an a, my AT assistant trainer for all of the trauma trainings that I do in the IFS Institute. And Crystal was like, Frank, I took a workshop with <laughs> You and and you know and, and I'm like and here we are full circle. I like, know my assistant trainer and she's such a lovely person. You know so yeah. It's my heart to hear how many people I have reached and brought to the IFS world because um, mm-hmm. it is a great model and it you know it's yeah. changed my life. It's changed so many people's lives. Absolutely. You know? So it's lovely to hear that. So thanks for thanks for sharing that. Of course, of course. That feedback. Good, good. And yeah, I went to a, I'm in Northern Kentucky by Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh And I went to a a networking event recently for therapists and we got the opportunity to share who we are a little bit. And I said, I'm, I'm an IFS and number one, half the people in there were like, so excited about IFS. And then the other thing that I heard people saying was like, do you know, Frank Anderson? (laughs) (laughs) Cracks me up. I have to tell you. You're, you're an IFS celebrity. (laughs) We, we, so it is kind of funny. And, and, you know, it's, this is this new thing that's evolved because of the pandemic. It's very interesting because, you know, during the pandemic, I really sat in this office with all these books behind me and I did workshop after workshop after workshop, like for two and a half years, just mm-hmm. workshops all over the world, really. Yeah. And, you know, the world is really opening up now and now I'm back to doing live events uh-huh. and so, 
it was really, it was really kind of, it was a bit of a shock. I almost felt like this is kind of funny to say, I felt like an American Idol contestant, like <laughs> just a regular person. And then all of a sudden you get shot into superstardom because I did this workshop in Oxford, England, right? Recently, it was a master series for trauma. And Dick was there, Bessel was there, Janina Fisher was there, all my friends were there. Yeah. Like it was a wonderful event. It was a beautiful event that Dana and we couldn't walk down the street without being kind of yeah the wrong word inundated by people and it was so funny because it wasn't what was happening before the pandemic do you know what I mean it was like uh. this oh like I would walk into a store I'm trying to buy a bar of soap for my husband and this woman's like I'm like yes <laughs> you know she's like hold my baby take a picture with my baby it was just kind of funny and I have to say like it was a little bit shocking because I not how it used to be right and because of all of the access to people over the pandemic sitting at home Mm -hmm. like I am this known entity at least within the psychotherapy worlds anyways you know what I mean Mm -hmm. thing I'll say Natalie which is just so heartwarming about it because it for me, it's not about fame. It's about the way I've touched people. Like the thing that's so beautiful is like, oh my goodness, you changed my life. I can't believe I was so struggling. What you've done has been so helpful. So like that totally trumps the, you're a celebrity kind of thing. It's like, wow, the impact I've had on people is beautiful. You know what I mean? I just love that. Like that really makes me feel good. Oh Yeah. yeah. And that's such a gift. Yeah. It's such a gift to yeah. know that you can be yeah. a part of something like that, you know, yeah. for so many people. Yes. That's right. And yeah, IFS has changed my life. You yeah. know, I didn't, I didn't find it until about eight years into my career as a therapist. Yeah. And I'm, you said you started doing it in 2004. Yep. And yes. I, I've heard you tell the story before where you were able to take, correct me if I'm wrong, like a, an IFS workshop that was hosted by Dick. Yeah. And you were like, all like, you were like, oh yes, this is like all clicking. Well, what I tell them when we talk about it now, and, and I talk about it in jest is like, so I worked, started working with Bessel Vanderkolk in 1999, 1992, sorry. Um, and Bessel always had an annual trauma conference and he would always bring in the who's who and new innovative mm-hmm. for trauma. So he invited Dick Schwartz in around 2004. And I was like, all right, I'll go to that workshop. I was doing my own workshop on the neurobiology of PTSD and dissociation for psychopharmacology. So I was the, I was the psychiatrist for Bessel for years. And then I went to this workshop with Dick, Dick Schwartz. And I was like, you know, third row, right up in the front on the right-hand side. And I went up to him during a break, like people do to me now all the time, go up during a break. And he's like, he said to me, oh, you're the guy who was nodding his head all through my work, all through the morning. And I was like, yeah, I'm like the dog I'm in like, the seat of the car, bobbing. Yeah. <laughs> I was kind of like that because it was that light bulb moment for me. It was like the Oprah aha moment for yeah. me. Oh my goodness. Like I've been working with in trauma for a while, but it, it just brought it to a whole new level. Mm. What IFS can bring to trauma treatment, which is really my specialty in that way in the IFS community, you know, transcending trauma. My second book was all about my life's work in IFS neuroscience and complex PTSD. Yes. Yeah. I can totally relate to that story about the bobbing head because that's how I felt like with your stuff, you know, attending your workshops. I was just like, yes, yes, this is making so much sense. And, and I was one of those people during the pandemic too, that, just really took that time to just dive into right. the pool of IFS. You either made sourdough bread or <laughs> you took IFS courses, right? That's <laughs> so- what I did not make any bread. I just took all the <laughs> IFS stuff that I could. That's great. That's so great. I was excited to see when the Altogether Us book came out that you wrote a chapter in there about sexual orientation. Cause I, and I know it relates to trauma. Like you bring that in too. Totally. But I felt I was like, parts of me were like, Ooh, that's exciting. Yes. Yeah. Cause it was, it was somewhat different than what you had written about before. Exactly. And yeah. so, yeah, I, I, so I'm really excited to to talk about this chapter with you today. And 
for the reader or the readers, for the listeners to know, the chapter is called Embodying IFS with Sexual Orientation, Trauma Healing as a Path to the Integrated Self. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to ask you, you know, how was it for you to write this chapter? Yeah, you know, it was interesting. Um, So Jenna and I had many discussions about this book. Um, I came in late into the process. She had a hard time reaching me for reasons that were administrative. I had a new website. My assistant was getting all the messages instead of me. So it was like this weird series of events. And she was like, oh my gosh, Frank, I want you to write a foreword for this book. You know, and and I'm like, okay. Uh, She's like, you should write the foreword. I'm like, great. You know, Dick and Martha are doing a chapter of the intro and, and I've got 37 other authors already writing chapters. I'm like, holy crap, really? Like, you want me to do a foreword? I have to read all that? I'm in the middle of writing my memoir. I don't have time to do this. Like, it was this really kind yeah. of funny thing. I was like, thank you for the, that's an honor. And I can't do due do, do diligence to that mm-hmm. because I just don't have the bandwidth. I've got a deadline with my next book coming out. So she she's the one, Jenna was the one that said, you know, I've got all these topics covered and I don't have a sexual orientation topic covered yet. It's been really hard to find somebody who is an expert in IFS who can write about sexual orientation. And it was one of those like, oh, like I've been wanting to do this for years. This is a great opportunity. I'm like, let's bag the forward. You don't need a forward. Let's do this. And she's like, yeah. I cannot put this book out without having that in the chapter. She was very clear about it. It's so important. I need that. I, I'll, I'll hold up publication for it if it doesn't have this. It was like the last chapter. Mm. Right. And so, so it fit a need for her in a way that was really important around her inclusivity of all topics IFS related. And for me, it was like, you know, I've been working with the LGBTQIA plus population for a long time. I've worked with a lot of trans people. I've worked with, you know, you, when you're gay, you get gay therapists. You know, when you're on the spectrum, you get people on the spectrum. Like when you have a trauma history, you become a trauma expert. Like that's right. the way it goes. Right. And so it was great. I was It was wonderful for me to say, yes, I've been doing this work for a long time. Let me organize it in a, in a chapter because anytime you write something, it really helps clarify your own knowledge and information. So it was a yes. great opportunity for me. And now, you know, that's the workshop I did in Oxford, England this year mm. was LGBTQIA plus and relational trauma. Okay. So, you know, when you write something, then people ask you to speak about it. So it's great, you know, and it was, it was personal, like everything I write is personal and didactic, you know, mm-hmm. not information. So it was nice to kind of write a little bit about my journey of my own experience, you know, unique in some ways, but not unheard of in the gay community. I was married to a woman first, mm-hmm. came out when I was 32 and started a family at 35 so 40 actually but so yeah it was great it was actually great to write it on a personal level Mm -hmm. you know and on a professional level you know so it it does branch me out you know I don't do that many I don't do hardly any IFS intro workshops anymore okay if I'm going to talk about IFS it's going to be on trauma you know and now on um, um, orientation which is great you mm-hmm. know, um, I and do a lot of work on spirituality and on forgiveness too. Those are the oh. other two topics that are, I'm really interested in lately. Beautiful. Yeah. I, I, again, I was really grateful to see that you wrote a chapter on orientation and it makes sense what you're saying too, that when you write something, it really starts to clarify things within yourself because you're having to really focus on it. You're having to like yeah. organize it and break it down. And when I read your chapter, I want to thank you again, because it brought up stuff for me in terms of trailheads to parts that were connected to my childhood. I, my parents got a divorce when I was seven and my mom got into a relationship with a woman. Mm -hmm. And so I was raised by four parents, Yeah, my dad and my stepmom, Barb, and my mom and my stepmom, Carla. Yes you know, starting from the age of seven. Mm -hmm. And so it was really, again, beautiful 
and so helpful <laughs> to read that chapter right. from my yeah. end as well. Yes. And I want to thank you for that. Just from the perspective of a child. Beautiful. Beautiful. You know, yeah. And and so I, I want to thank you for that because it's helped me connect with parts of me that right. have been in there that are <clears throat> needing my that that self-depart connection. That's beautiful. That's again, just like being called out in the streets in Oxford, England to be, hear that kind of feedback just warms my heart because you don't, as a teacher, you don't know who you've touched in what kinds of ways, right? So to just even hear that, I was like, oh my God, worth the chapter in and of itself, right? If I can touch somebody in that way and, you know, have an impact on a new awareness for them or seeing things differently. And you bring up an important point here, Natalie, around the orientation perspective, because it's not only about the person dealing with orientation, right? And part of what I talk about in the chapter is the cultural implications, mm -hmm. the institutional inst implications, the familial in implications, you know, the individual implications right there's such broad reach to orientation and it's impossible to not be affected by it in some way whether it's you yourself whether it's your mom or stepmom whether it's your kids right you know mm -hmm. um so it does affect you know this there's this cliche saying which is kind of oh really I, I have a good friend who's gay. Right. Like, you know, somebody is like, yeah, we all have a good friend who's gay because it's ubiquitous in our culture. And right. more importantly, it affects us all. Hmm. It affects us all. So for you to, you know, maybe be a, a cis orientation and to be affected by, you know, somebody who has same sex attraction is, is what it's all about. You know, I'll never forget like coming out, I had a period of time where I didn't talk to my parents for a chunk of time. And that's when I came out, like grew up in the Midwest, super conservative family, like this ain't going to go here. This yeah. ain't going to fly, right? Yeah. So I, I didn't tell them I was living in Boston. They were in Chicago. I didn't tell them for over two years, mm. you know, and that was a big, huge thing, which is in my memoir, um, which I'm super excited about talking about at some yeah. point. Um, the thing that was shocking to me at the time was okay not only me coming out to my parents then my parents had to come out mm -hmm. like there's a coming out for a kid you know there's a coming out for the parents there's a coming out for everybody in relationship to the person who's coming out that's exactly right right it's a it's a whole coming out process and I remember my mom like um saying things to her lady friends at tennis you know, oh, Frank, you know, first of all, the divorcing a woman was like a big taboo, you know, well, who's his new girlfriend? Uh, like, all, and she mm -hmm. so many moments, like, do I say it? Don't I say it? In the same way that any gay person does, like, do I, I tell the plumber who's coming into my house to fix my toilet that yep. my husband's in the other room? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, do I say I have two moms or two dads? You know, like, yeah, always, always these moments of, do I come out mm -hmm. or don't I come out, right? And so yep. I don't think people pay enough attention to the impact of those in relationship to gay people around the impact it has on them. You know, like yeah. I have two boys, right? Mm -hmm. One's 19 and one's 15. And they handle it, they handle it so differently. It's fascinating. Like my- How do they handle it? How do they yeah, handle it? Yeah, my oldest, like- boy doesn't want two dads like this is awesome like he's <laughs> the greatest thing in the world like that's he, so sweet oh, man you know like he just thinks it's great we once when he was in first grade get a knock on the door the bus driver is at my front door I'm like oh crap what's happening and she's like excuse me I just need to tell you this I heard the sweetest thing from your son and I just needed to tell you the kids <laughs> driving home on the bus it was like April vacation. And they're like, what are you doing over April vacation? Blah, 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 blah. And somebody said, I don't, somebody asked him a question about, I don't know what they asked him. Chris, she's like, you know what? I'm going to go with my two dads to blah, 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 blah. 
isn't that awesome? I have two oh, days. Oh, like he's so telling sweet. the kids on the bus at six years old. Yeah. I have two dads and the bus driver is like, oh my God. You know, the kids are like, you do? How cool. You know what I mean? So, That's so precious. experience was yeah. like, one little boy doesn't want two dads, right? Right. And we joke in our family. It's like, he has more testosterone than my husband and I combined. <laughs> You're like he's such a guy's guy, so of course he would want two dads, you know. That's so sweet. Sorry that we happen to, you know, do some ultra feminine things, also, honey. But <laughs> you know, for him it was like awesome, right? Yeah. My youngest, totally different. Like he's mm. on the spectrum. He's very internal. He's such an introvert. He doesn't want to share anything about himself, or about his parents mm. right because he's so observant of the world and he watches videos and cartoons and sees all the mommies and daddies on tv mm -hmm. doesn't see many people that look like his family he doesn't really know how to manage that and it was very interesting for the longest time in school for him this kind of breaks my heart like in the world and i live in a very liberal place right but he would have the musical show every year like the um assembly and he yeah. never wanted to participate and he didn't want us to go hmm. no and part of him not didn't want to participate in the show because of his own spectrum issues and his mm -hmm. social anxiety but he didn't want to bring his two dads to the show you yeah. know because everybody he thought everybody else has two a mom and a dad and nobody mm. has this and so for him Having two dads is another layer of difference that he has a hard time tolerating. Do, do you know what I that mean? That makes sense. Right? It yeah. Does. So it was just like to have these two boys having vastly different experiences. Mm -hmm. I'll say one other thing now. It's great to have these conversations, by the way. So really thank you for this because these are important to have for people about bringing awareness to the layers and the dimensions, right? Yeah. One of the one, so he, I don't even remember how old my youngest was, but we, because he wasn't saying anything about, I mean, we're daddy and papa, that's the way we go. And he wasn't mentioning it. And I was like, we have to tell him before he goes to kindergarten, like, how would the, you know, you know, you have two dads and you know that other people don't. Like, we were going to have this like discussion with him mm. before he got into school, right? And he said, said, you know, you've got, you've got two dads and you've got a daddy and a papa and some people have a mom and some people have two moms and some people have two dads. He said, I don't have two dads. Like, what do you mean, honey? And like, oh, because one's a papa and one's a daddy. Like we were kind of confused. He's like, yeah, I don't have two dads. I'm like, well, you do like, <laughs> well, they have different names. He's like, no, I have a daddy who's a daddy and a papa who's a mama. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, like that's what he did with that. Like right. he saw the world. We read all the books, the childhood books, mm -hmm. daddies and the mamas. And in his little mind, right, he organized it, right, to say, I have a daddy who kind of acts like a daddy. Right. From what I understand daddies are. And I have a papa, that would be me, who acts like a mama. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was fascinating for me for what he did with integrating uh -huh. the exposure to culture and society, what you just get subliminal messages yep, and how his little mind made sense of his family. Yeah. You know, and that's, and that's beautiful, right? That yeah. again, yeah. it's just like, we're so resilient and yes. in, in the way that our yeah. systems can conceptualize and, right. and adapt to the world. And, you know, I, I, I appreciate that you brought up, you know, that there is a, a coming out process for yes. everyone that's, you know, involved in yes. like, especially right. for a child who has two dads or two moms that's right. and that mm -hmm. there are going to be parts within, like, I've come to get to know the part of me that at a young age was very hesitant to share and had to be very careful yes. of, you know, who do I share this with? Right. Because of, of fears that come yes. from totally. culture and, and, you know, this was in the mid nineties. Yeah, exactly. For me as a seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 30, you know, That's right. it was a lot of trying to navigate like who's safe yes, and who's not. 
That's right. And that's what that's what gay people do all the time. Right. All the time. So for people, you know, gay associated, gay affiliated, whatever we want to call, you know, people in in in, the, in your lives, it's like that's that is a level of what happens all the time, no matter where we go. I travel all over the world, you know. Yeah. And my mom is like, oh, you're going to China. Honey, is that going to be safe for you? You know, oh, you're going, you know, here. I went to, I was in Vegas and I got it targeted and attacked walking down the street, you oh know. Oh my gosh. And it was just like, oh, like maybe Vegas isn't safe. Like, you know, like you don't even really know. There was a policeman right there. I ran over to the policeman and, you know, kind of stopped probably a hate crime. Who even knows? So like, you just don't know. Right. Sometimes like my husband's family lives in Arkansas and we're totally guarded, not a hundred percent, you know, but we're more guarded in Arkansas than we are in Massachusetts. Right. Around. Can you tell the person at the CVS register? Yeah. <laughs> no, like, do you need to, or are you have to censor yourself? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's not, I wish it didn't exist in the world at all, but I'm, I'm glad to hear. Yeah, you get it. You get what it's like to be in the world in that way when you have to be like every person you're a set do is it safe? Is this mm-hmm. not safe? vigilant parts, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. And and it, you know, and you mentioned Provincetown in your book, which I loved because we've been vacationing to P Town since I was 10. <laughs> <laughs> Did you go to family week? Were you one of the families at family no, week? We no, we never no. went to family week. We always went during like carnival week, you know, and like, <laughs> we just went this past July. Uh, and I was able to take our son for the first time. That and so that was so fun. And, but you know, that for me, again, as a kid going yes. there with my moms yes. and my brother, I have a younger brother too. Um, that was a shock in the sense yes. of That's it was great. amazing yes. that here is this safe space yes. where, I mean, yes. you can walk down the street and just be completely you yeah. and not have that totally. same level of, of fear or hypervigilance. Yeah. And yeah. I just, I, I'm so grateful for P-Town because right? it's just such a beautiful place. Yes. It's such a beautiful place. And I, and I, you write about it in the chapter on how you moved to P-Town and you lived there for like, what, six years, you said? Yeah. Six or seven years. I think we had a house there. Yeah. It brings up a couple things for me, two things. I'll tell you a story about my nephews and then I'll talk about P-Town in regards to the stages of coming out. Yeah. Right? Those are two different things we'll talk about, but I'll tell you a story about my nephews, which was fascinating for me. It's like, again, the the perspective of the 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 people associated with gay people, you know, like maybe the term is like ally, right? Whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so my nephews, I mean, grew up with their uncle. I was, I came out when my oldest nephew was uh, 18 months old. So like, he's only known me as a gay person, right? And so I brought my two nephews, my brother's kids, they came when they were older, they were like tenant, able to fly by themselves. Like, they came out to visit Uncle Frank and we took, a, they spent a week at, you know, at my house and we went down to P-Town for the weekend. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we had this while we're driving down to P-Town um, and they were excited about like fishing and whale watches, all of the things. Oh yeah. God has to offer. And I had this, like, I've got to prep them because they're going to be drag queens walking down the street and <laughs> holding hands and all yeah. that P-Town also has to offer. Right. Uh-huh. And so I'm like, okay, boys, like, just want you to know two men are going to be holding hands. Some women are going to be kissing each other. And I'm like, so <laughs> big deal. Like I've grown up with this. Why are you telling me this? Like it was mm, fascinating for me yeah. for them as kids who grew up in that normalized community because uh-huh. with whoever I was with at the time. And, you know, it was, I was safe in my, my brother's like my best friend in a way. And, you know, like he's been in my life forever, obviously. And so these kids grew up with this as normal. So they're mm-hmm. like, why? So isn't this just what normal is? So it was kind of cool for me to kind of mm-hmm. them like, okay, Uncle Frank, what? <laughs> Or like you do that, <laughs> I yeah. see your boyfriend or husband. You know what I mean. So right. it's like the our world could be normalized. 
Right. Exactly. Right. If we, if we started from the beginning. Oh yeah. And that's where I also appreciated in the chapter you write about mind the gap in terms of noticing the differences between maybe people 40 and older and 40 and younger. And I read that and I was like, I I was like bobbing my head, like, yes, 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 yes. yes." Like it was, and I talked to my mom about it last night actually too, because I told her I'd be having this conversation with you. And, and she was like, cause she's in her mid sixties and she's like, oh my gosh, yes. It's, you have, it's a different world. And, you know, again, in the nineties, my mom and Carla would not walk down the street holding hands here, mm-hmm. you yep. know, where we're from. But when we'd go yep. to P-Town, I'd see them holding yes. hands in public. Right. Yes. And I just felt I, I, I wasn't scared. Like there weren't parts at all yes. that I remember that, like there weren't any parts within me that were like, oh my gosh, this is because it was normalized. That's right. It's normalized yes. at P-Town. That's and right. I just remember I have like a flashbulb memory of like, my brother and I walking behind them and them holding hands, walking down the sidewalk and just feeling like such just joy and, but also sadness. Yes. hundred you know, percent, Totally. That, yeah. that they didn't feel like they could express right. themselves. Well, and that over 40, under 40 gap is real, like around development for the person, right? Your mom's a great example. And I'll tell you, my husband came out when he was 18. So he came out at a time, right? He lived right through the AIDS crisis. He was all a part of that whole world. So much fear being in the world still to this day. He rarely will hold my hand in public, even now, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we get on an airplane, he acts like I'm a damn stranger. Like, mm. I'm like, oh, like he won't, he gets so afraid because of what he still holds of being in the world at that time, right? And he, yeah. and I have this different experience because I had this like protection of being normal in the world because I was married to a woman throughout all of this, the hate crimes and so mm. much what was going on more regularly. So I missed it all. And I'm like, I'm gay. You know, the world's better. Okay. So like, I don't fall into that over 40, under 40 mm. gap quite in the same way because I wasn't living as a gay person through a lot of that. So yeah. it's interesting. You know what I mean? Like right. I, I'm more like an under 40 mentality where it was kind of more normalized, where we don't have these divisions and barriers quite in the same way where it wasn't as unsafe as it was once upon a time. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I, I'm so proud of like Disney and Pixar Yes, because now having a three-year-old, you know, we're watching a lot of Disney and Pixar, which are great. I love them. And, you know, I, we're sitting there, my husband and I, and I'm just so proud of just some of the the movies and the shows that are coming out. And that's just like, it's so normalizing. They're just showing gay and lesbian and trans, you know, relationships. And, and I'm just like, and they're not making like, it's not like a part of the story of like, well, like, like, Mm -hmm. Oh, this is a, this is like part of the storyline in terms of it being a problem. You know what I mean? It's just, this is it. This Let is me the person. Tell you though, this is interesting. So it's funny that you mentioned them because I just talked to Pixar this week. No, I that's exciting. Conversation with them um, because Inside Out Two is coming out in June. Okay, they're going to release a trailer in November. You know, I talked to them. I'm we're probably we might be doing another pro. pro I was working on a project before that never really materialized. Maybe there's a new project in the works. I have a new company, uh, trauma informed media company that I'm working with. And so we just started conversations again because of the release of this movie. And interestingly enough, because they're so progressive and forward in their views, they really are. And they work so hard to integrate all these issues into their movies, but it is, they receive so much backlash. Really? Really interesting because of the conservative people in the world, because they're like, they, they, they said, Frank, like Riley's going through puberty, like that's what's going to happen, right? Mm. You, kind of, you figured Riley would go through puberty. She has that puberty button at the end of the right, movie. yeah. This makes sense that that's where they're heading, and they're like, there were so many things we wanted to integrate and we wanted to normalize, and 
if we made too much of it, we were going to get huge backlash, mm. you know? And so they're like, Frank, it's such a fine line. It was interesting to talk to them between, you know, teaching and normalizing and censorship. Yeah. And there's like, it's a fine line. And it made me sad. Like, oh my goodness. Like, I know they care about this stuff and it's important to them. And they're like, you know, we do one too many wrong things. And DeSantis is going to shut down Disneyland. You know what I mean? He's like, they're there because Pixar and Disney are connected. Right. You know? We have to tread so lightly, even now, mm. around not being too forward facing because of the world still. Like, even though it's so much better, right? Mm. It's also not. I know. So there's a comfort. And there's this, you know, one step forward, two steps back, right? Right. You know, one of the things I write in the chapter is like, you know, teen suicide in the trans population is an epidemic. Like mm -hmm. it is off the charts. People think, oh, no big deal. You know, su suicide, depression, mental health issues for the LGBTQIA plus population is not gone. And it does not match the norms still mm. even in this world today and i think that's important for people to be aware of it's absolutely not, oh it's gone the issue's over because it's not right i know yeah. and that's i again my mom and i were talking about that last night yeah. and it is it's confusing yes. because it's yeah. like we have i don't know even know how to describe it but it's like this feeling that i sense of like here's all these things that's encouraging us to say yeah. that it's okay. But then you also still run the risk of right. like, like what Disney and Pixar, it sounds like maybe was explaining right to you of like, yes. yes. And it's like, it, it, it is okay, but then it might not be. You know what? I read a fascinating article about this, which really resonated for me. They said most um, I can't remember the word they use, but most move, mar movements for marginalized communities, okay? And so they're not only talking about orientation, they were talking about people of color, they were talking about ethnic, you know, women, like movements tend to take cent sometimes centuries, like a hundred years, right? Like mm. women's movement, like, you know, um, people of color, like, you know, th these movements... You can watch a movie about the 50s and then you watch a movie today and, and for someone, a person of color, you're like, we have not moved that far. Damn, we, we, have, we have not moved the needle very far that much at all. Yeah. So said in culture and society, this one article said movements can take over 100 years and the gay marriage bill catapulted so quickly and moved so fast compared to how normal marginalized movements progress, that there's this natural backlash that's happening because of how quickly mm -hmm. it moves forward. They said, nobody ever expected that in our lifetime, we would see equal rights for gay people around marriage. And the fact that it happened, it like, like shot out of a cannon. Right. This natural pullback because of the way marginalized people in our culture and society do get rights slowly over time. Now, I thought that was kind of interesting. Like, oh, that, that makes sense, right? It does. Well, and as you're describing it, I'm also thinking of it in terms of like IFS and like parts, yes. right? Yes. Right. How, I mean, if we catapult too quickly right. for the system, exactly. yes. right, that we're not checking in with who are the parts in there that maybe don't or have concerns, that permission does everybody get permission moving forward right and if not then we can literally have a backlash effect effect like within us totally so yeah. as you described that i was like oh my gosh that makes so much sense doesn't it doesn't yeah it? yeah it really does and there is so there is some of that there's huge progress and mm -hmm. there is this natural backlash when like because you know when gay rights when you know gay marriage became legalized it wasn't like everybody agreed are all parts on board it was mm -hmm. a divided congress <laughs> you know <laughs> it was a very polarized mm -hmm. political environment right right so yeah when all parts don't agree love that ifs kind of analogy 
you're going to naturally get backlash. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that makes so much sense. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. That is, yeah. that's, that's a cool yeah connection there. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know I, I've, we've been getting into, you know, our own kind of conversations here and I love it. And, you know, with in the chapter, you talk about sexual orientation and connecting it with IFS. And the big question, right. Is like, is sexual orientation a part? Yes. yes. <laughs> I was like, I was looking at the clock. I'm like, we're going to talk. We have to talk about that before this. Yeah. <laughs> so big question, Frank yes. is sexual orientation a part, or is it a dimension of self? And I, Frank Anderson, have the definitive answer. (laughs) As if, you know, I am the one, right? um, So it's great because I do think probably different people have different views about it. And that's totally fine, right? All views are welcome, as we say in IFS. But I will say in my experience personally and in my um, work with my clients over the years, that orientation is a dimension of self-energy. Orientation is not a part. My sexual orientation is not a part. And I would ask most, I ask straight people that, right? Cis people, like, like, what part of you is straight? They're like, what do you mean? Like, yeah, right. Or even if somebody's bisexual, whatever, like they have Mm -hmm. a brain. Or so when I think about orientation, when I think about gender, Mm-hmm. I see those as dimensions of self energy. It's like who I am. You don't decide who you're attracted to. That right. is not a decision. It is something that is within you that is natural that I spent 32 years trying to push away. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it was a natural part of who I am. And so I really do feel, and I'll talk about this little bit complexity, which I do mention in the book is that in human form, as we are humans here, I believe orientation and gender are a part of self-energy. It's like inherently who I am. And there's all the studies around, is this biological and nature nurture, all this kind of stuff. And the, you know, the, the, the final word isn't out, but I'll tell you what I feel like. And I'll tell you what most of my people that I know that are gay feel like, you know, hello, you know, this is the way you were born. Yeah. But this, what I also have experienced because I'm a very spiritual person and I've done psychedelic work also is when you leave the human form, when you get up into the spiritual realm of oneness, Mm. gender and orientation seem to fall away. Like nobody's a gen. It's like, we're all connected. Right. One, right? So in my experience, when we're in the spiritual realm, gender and orientation fall away for everybody, not just for gay people. And when we're in human form, when we're inhabiting our human existence, that gender and orientation are part of self-energy. It's just, it's a given, mm-hmm. you know, a lot when I teach self-energy, like I I don't teach the eight C's like ever because people get attached to the eight C's like that's all it is. Right. For me, self-energy is a, 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 an experience, an embodied experience. And there's a calmness associated with it. There's a matter of factness. Like it just is. Yeah. Just is. It's quiet. Mm-hmm. It's not like, Whoa! like it's just not it's like it's quiet. It's matter of fact. It's clear, you know, mm-hmm. so see words, but I feel orientation and gender that way. Mm-hmm. You know, I do. And, you know, um, I, so for me, they're not parts that need to be unburdened. They're not parts that are like self-like parts. I mm-hmm. don't even like that term self-like anymore. I use self-aligned parts, right? So no, for me, it's a part of who we are. It, you know, could I have parts that hold burdens around orientation? hundred percent. Right. A lot of the work we do, that's the trauma work we do for people Mm -hmm. is when they have parts that have developed because of being shamed, attacked, ignored, criticized because of orientation. So sure. We develop a bunch of parts around that, or I'm not worthy, good enough or equal Mm -hmm. because of orientation or gender. So yes, we can have parts develop, but those are not parts that 
like the way I say is when we do healing, we release what doesn't belong to us and no longer serves us. Mm-hmm. And those are the parts associated with yeah. gender orientation. You know what I mean? Right. Those are yes. the things we absorb. Those are the things we take on mm-hmm. because of the world we live in, because of the family we grew up in. Yeah. You know? So we can have burdened parts, exiled or protective associated with gender and orientation, but in the purest of forms, when they're free of their trauma, for me, they're a dimension of self-identity. Yes. I, I I agree completely with what you're saying. And I think one thing that's important that I want to mention that you said was, you know, with gender identity and sexual orientation, those aren't choices. That, no. That's something, right? And and that it brought me back. I had a memory come up in my yeah. mind as you were sharing that because so many times I'd have this conversation with when I was a teenager, I'd be sitting around with friends or something and someone yeah. would bring up like, you know, well, that's a choice. Like yeah. being gay is a choice. And I remember yeah. I sat there and I would look at these people and I would say to them, so when did you choose to be straight? Like, <laughs> yeah. and then that all, and then they'd be like, um, well, I didn't. And yeah. I'm like, Yeah. That's exactly it's right. It's the same thing. I mean, how would that be different for someone else then? You know, it's who, it is a who you are. That's right. Who you are, not a choice. Right. Excuse me. Uh, as living as a straight man in the world and a gay man, uh, you know, why would the hell would you choose gay? Like it's a hell of a lot harder. You know what I mean? Like it's a, it's an yeah. easy pride in the world. If you choose straight, like who the hell would choose gay? Right. So right. it's not a choice. Yeah. You know, tried so hard to choose straight, mm. <laughs> really hard to choose it, you know? And that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so that makes a lot of sense to me. And yeah. I appreciate how you describe it like that, that gender identity, sexual orientation is not a choice. It's who you yeah. are, but we yeah. can have parts associated yes. connected to those dimensions of who we are that hold Trump shame burdens, burdens. Trump. yeah because of and the world we live in exactly or the family we live in exactly those are all legacy cultural burdens yes yeah. yes and that would you say is like when you're working with someone like a client and they're yeah. wanting to turn towards their sexual orientation as as a topic that is that what you're helping them map out totally. is yes. the parts that are associated yes Yes, with totally. I do a lot of mapping and it's like, you know, there's the mapping of the, because there's a mapping of who you are, then there's a mapping of the, um, how you've been affected by who you are, but the, because of the world you live in or the institutions you, you were raised in or the family you were raised in, you know, and then there's the individual trauma that you carry by growing up in a world that doesn't, you don't fit in, right? Like, right. And, happens so early like for so many people so you have the burdens that you mapping out the burdens that you carry because of the world you live in and map out the individual burdens that you carry because you will in you inherently hold trauma to be different in a world where you don't exist and you know this is the thing i tell you you know you'll see you hear, you hear about this in the memoir that i write about because my parents were very well intended when they sent me to conversion therapy when I was six years old, right? Um, they didn't know. They, they didn't even know what they were doing. But their intention was, Frankie is not normal. It, back then, it was a disorder. And we're going to help him be normal. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that was, they were not like, I hate, you know, they were not like, we got to exercise him. They, they were well-intended, right? So even yeah. well-intended parents, I mean, it was horrible for me and they were well-intended. Like that's holding the paradox of that, right? You know, right. well-intended parents will do things like kids, when you're three, you know, I got caught playing with Barbie. Like, and you don't play with Barbie. You know what I mean? Like when you're three, parents don't think about your gender or orient. They don't think about your gender orientation. They're just living in the world you know and so they don't even know what they're doing they don't even know that the things they're saying are impacting you negatively Mm. because you haven't said anything Mm -hmm. you're a kid 
Right. You're just being you. Mm-hmm. Right. And so parents make these just a, most people make an assumption of normity. Yeah. And and so then when you act that way, you're sending mixed messages to a kid who has no clue or awareness. So, yeah. you know, it's not I do. I've shifted around that. I had a lot of anger and resentment for my parents for a long time which I've healed and I've worked through. And I really do believe they were well-intended, even though they totally missed the mark because of the world back then in the Mm sixties and because of their real ignorance around this in a way that it wasn't, it wasn't intended. And fear. I mean, as a parent, right. I mean, you just want your kids to be healthy, happy, and safe. Right. Safe. Right. That was a big, like, oh my gosh, if Frankie goes to school with a Barbie, he's going to get beat up. Right. Yeah. And yeah. So that that makes a lot of sense that it can come from subliminal. Right. And unconscious, the wounding that kids internalize, right. You internalize it at a very young age and um, it's a lot of it is unintentional and a lot of it is subliminal unconscious. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It is interesting. Cause you know, I'll catch things being said in certain ways, maybe yes. like from, maybe from my parents to our son or, and then I'm like, Oh no, no, no. You know, <laughs> I have a friend who is, a, um, an OB-GYN nurse and she works in the birthing centers all the time. And it's so interesting. Like they've gotten all this education around how to approach an an infant differently. Have you decided on a name, right? What are, you know, people, I don't know how I can really kind of explain this. Like they don't talk about breastfeeding anymore. They talk about chest feeding Mm. because there are trans people who have babies who have had breasts take, you know, removed, right? Yeah. This thing, like some parents are deciding to not assign a gender when they're filling out the birth certificate. Have you decided on a gender or not for your mm. child? Right? Like the awareness it birth. Yeah. No more pink and blue blankets and you know, like no way, right? So yeah, I just loved when I talked to her. Like, wow, there, there's this awareness, even from birth, mm. as to, you know, what is the who is this kid? What is their assigned gender? Do we even know? What do you want to do in the meantime until they, they figure it out? Right. And how do you want to handle it, parents? Mm. You know what I mean? Which yeah. I think really kind of cool. Oh, that, totally that cool. Growing awareness, right? Like, hey, some, you know you're going to superimpose something on your kid. What mm-hmm. are you going to put on them? I know. Oh, Let's yeah. Be more that, thoughtful about it, right? So you think about, I just had the thought of like a hundred yeah. years from now, you know, a century from now, like yeah. how is the birthing process going yeah. to be like in terms yeah. of bringing a human into this world? That's right. And I also think about this too. And I was thinking about this when I was reading your chapter, you know, the difference between we have gender identity, we yeah. have sexual orientation, we have genitals and then we have gender expression and yes. none of those things are connected. Like, like, you know, just because yeah. someone's born with a penis doesn't yeah. mean their gender identity is a male. Yeah. And it doesn't mean their sexual orientation is going to be towards women. Exactly. And it doesn't mean that they're going to dress masculinely, exactly. <laughs> you know, and you've got to, you've got to, you've got to address each one of those separately. Like you said, that's great. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Like I I love I love the fact that men can be and this is where we see in the entertainment industry, Harry Styles, whatever his orientation is, he's like none of your none of your damn business. Like, you know, right. he women he could date men, he could be, you know, heterosexual and put on pearls in a dress. Mm-hmm. That is part of gender expression that has mm-hmm. nothing to do with orientation, you know, and that doesn't even have to do with gender identity. Right. You know what I mean? So I just love, I love the, the growing fluidity around gender, mm-hmm. around expression, around orientation, around expression. Yeah. Um, I think it's really great. And to work when you're a therapist working with people like this, you know, 
because I've heard people say, and I, I know I always get this wrong, but like, oh, like Caitlyn Jenner, for example, like, oh, well, if you were a man and you're attracted to women, why don't you just stay a man? You know, mm. Jenner who transitions and is a woman and is attracted to women. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it's very different, right? It's right. like, it's going to be a hell of a lot easier to just stay a man and have sex with a woman. Well, yeah, but that's not who I am. Right. You know, I can't quite do that. So I think it's important to to hold all of those things separately. Yeah, definitely. And and to be aware of kind of bringing it back to parts, right? Yes. Again, like what yeah. are the parts within me? Yeah. What are the parts within my client that are associated with these various things? And like you said, it's connected to cultural family and then also their yeah. individual experiences. And you have to look at all those layers. I'm doing a workshop um, next a couple of weeks in um in California at the Innovations Conference and talking about the intersection between cultural, institutional, familial, and individual trauma Mm. in general. And it's just like, and when you're working with orientation, you have to, you have to take all of that stuff into account because it's the individual pieces, it's the cultural pieces, and you can't just blend them together because, and in the order of healing is another thing I'll say before we close here is like, as you're mapping all this stuff out, because there's all these layers, it's important to kind of map out the order of healing, right? And we don't decide as a therapist, we have our clients decide, like, do I deal with culture first around my orientation, the cultural burdens? Do I deal with the individual burdens? Do I deal with the family legacy burdens, right? There's the natural order of healing, because sometimes if you don't do the, the 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 cultural piece, it blocks the individual healing, right? Mm-hmm. And there's no correct order when we're looking at all these layers, okay. right? It's like being very into. It's like getting permission from the client system. What's the order here? Right. You know, it's not a cognitive thing. It's a paying attention to, you know, we have to do a little bit of family, then we can work on the individual, then we can go back to the family. Like it doesn't have to be linear. Okay. Around the layers of release in order to continue to heal. Do, mm. do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It kind of, because you could see where I think like therapist parts yes. could be like, okay, so here's all the things. And then yeah. what if we did it this way? Again, well intentions, you yes. know, but that might not be what's naturally meant to in the order in which it needs to be addressed. So it, I, I appreciate yeah. what you're saying of it's up to the client. That's right. And to have that felt sense of what needs to be turned towards first, exactly. next, and and so on. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, thank you yeah. so much, Frank, for having this conversation. This was so wonderful. You're and welcome. welcome. Thank I've, you for having me. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed this. I don't talk about this a lot, so it's great to have this offering out there for the world. So thank you for putting in the time and and, and the interest in this subject because it's yeah it is an important one. So thank you. Um, yeah. Do want to mention before we close, if people want to reach me, you know a lot of different ways to reach me. Easiest way is probably my website at frankandersonmd.com. I'm on all social media channels, which is a whole other topic for another time. Yeah. <laughs> Instagram, TikTok, um, X and um, threads and Facebook, mm-hmm. all the stuff. Mm-hmm. And just to mention, I'm so excited that I'm now able to start releasing this memoir that's coming out in May of yeah. 2024. May 7th is our release date to be loved mm. is the title of the book. And um, we're going to start promoting it this month. Um, and it is really a story of orientation and trauma and the evolution of my life. And I really do hope that it's a way to teach people that trauma is real. Trauma is for everyone. Not trauma is real trauma. We all have trauma and we all can heal from trauma. Yeah. Um, So I'm super excited about that offering. That's beautiful. And I'm so excited to read it and to hopefully have you back on maybe to to talk about it. That would be wonderful. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you so much, Frank. I appreciate you. Yeah, you too.